Welcome to another edition of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC 265, headlined by an interim heavyweight scrap between Cyril Gunn and Derek the Black Beast Lewis, co-headlined by Pedro Munoz against Jose Aldo. Very excited for a ton of fights on this card. We were supposed to get uh, Amanda Nunes co-headlining against Juliana Pena. I believe Nunes catches COVID, and they pushed that fight back. Not entirely sure when they were rescheduling it to, but we still have a pretty good offering of fights from the UFC this weekend, and I'm very much looking forward to it. Shout out to all the supporters already that have clicked that subscribe and have clicked that uh, that like as well, because that's always very important, especially to uh, you know kind of just boost the stuff uh, on the YouTube side of things. And obviously, if you're listening to this on Apple iTunes drop a review for your boy who knows maybe in the very near future i'll start off one of these episodes by reading one of the reviews from you guys so if you guys haven't already give me as many stars as you guys believe i deserve and then drop a written review as well just a brief little thing in terms of what you like about the podcast what you don't like about the podcast and what i could possibly do better and i'd be definitely uh, sure to heed those words from you guys so shout out to you guys um yeah let's just start off with the recap for the last event as we always do if you guys know transparency is obviously number one i know i'm not the greatest out there doing that in terms of units profited or anything like that but i still believe that my reads are solid and i hope to bring some more solid picks to you guys this weekend all right let's start off with the dog of the night kind of shit the bed right there right one unit bet on the under two and a half in the gritsmacher and garcia fight that blows up in our face uh gritsmacher shows solid durability and uh, garcia shows good enough gas tank that he could survive because it seemed like there were plenty of times that gritsmacher could go out there and uh, get the finish if he just put his foot on the gas a little bit more but uh that really bursted a lot of parlays for people not the under two and a half but the garcia side of things and that's just further uh you know attribution to the fact that we shouldn't put too much weight on guys that are just coming off of knockout victories assuming that they're going to go out there and get knocked out once again um so yeah under two and a half whiffs there but the lock of the night play comes through four and a half units on cheyenne buys uh she goes out there and absolutely floors gloria DePaulo with a beautiful kick and then eventually follows up with some ground and pound and gets the finish gets her out of there in the first round not a lot of people expecting her to get the first round ko but uh you know i know a lot of people that were on the decision prop instead but i felt like the line on her I believe I got her at minus 175. I felt that was too disrespectful considering, excuse me, the, the skill skill gap that we had in that fight. But we totally didn't get to see it, right? We saw um, not long of that fight. Uh, I wish that fight went a little bit more so we could see, you know, our reads kind of play out a little bit more. But we did see Cheyenne Baez from the get-go push the pace, stay in Gloria DePaulo's face, and really make it difficult for her to get to her own game going. So, you know, maybe that was just the beginning of the end right there for Gloria DePaulo. But regardless, Bays gets the finish. Four and a half units uh, on minus 175 caches for 2.57 units, which allows us to end the event at plus 1.57 units. So a great bounce back for us, especially after losing the lock that I played last or the the previous week with Ian Heinrich sitting in the bed, even though our dogs did very well with Derek Minner or sorry, Darren Elkins and Holly and Piva hitting a lot of the underdogs barking on this card as well. I believe I went six and four on uh, six and four on uh, on sorry, six and three on predictions 
Uh, I, I got to count it up again, but uh, I did pretty well for the fact that we had six underdogs actually end up cashing as well. So uh, I thought that was a pretty good showing, at least from a prediction side of things. And then obviously to come out on profit and avoid the landmines of the Garcias and the Barbaritas and still cash on a girl like Cheyenne Baez. I thought that was pretty impressive. So hopefully this is the beginning of a new streak where we're able to hit the double digits once again, as I did, um, you know, beginning of the year late last year. Uh, but yeah hoping that's what we can do so uh like i said plus 1.57 units on ufc vegas 33 which rolls us right into ufc 265 i already have my locker that i play posted on the uh, patreon um it will be dropping for free to the public on friday usually i drop that uh you know just after uh i do the ultimate weigh-in show i'm going to be doing the ultimate weigh-in show a little bit early this week because i'm actually flying out to see the in-laws this week so uh my flight's like 8 p.m eastern time i normally do my show 9 p.m eastern time but i'm going to be looking to do it um probably earlier maybe right after the wins actually finish off i can't confirm my guest as of yet but as soon as i can i promise i'll tell you guys and if uh i, I have two guys that i'm looking at and uh, if they both can confirm i promise you it's going to be a heater of an episode that you guys are not going to want to miss i want to roll that into the patreon obviously like i said lachlan i play already placed on the patreon uh thursday afternoon i'm intending on releasing my best bets and props article where i go every go over every single fight and give you guys my best bet and prop uh along with my confidence rating on those plays as well so a lot of people enjoy that that's probably one of my biggest things on the patreon outside of the discord community which is just absolutely amazing shout out to all the patreon members that continue to continue to show support on a month-to-month basis i'm just stumbling through the through the intro here but we'll make it um 400 plus patrons you know i'm happy to kind of linger around that number i know i gotta get a, a streak going and and get some dubs under my belt to continue to move towards that 500 mark but the fact that we're able to dabble around 400 is just absolutely amazing and i cannot thank you guys for the support enough so once again check out the patreon link is in the description below a ton of great perks but uh discord community is probably one of my favorites uh that i'm able to give to you guys uh secondly cool bet coolbet.com promo code mmaltn2 that's a promo code uh for coolbet if you guys sign up though match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks and from there um yeah you can go out there and bet on whatever you want for cool but they have great lines they have great odds they allow you to parlay props as well if that's something up your alley um but i really do lean on them to get some solid odds and uh, they have great customer service haven't had any issues in terms of limiting or anything yet but uh we'll see how that goes as i continue to play with them but i do have nothing but good things to say about those guys so once again cool bet coolbet.com use promo code mmalotn2 and they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks last thing i want to say Shout out to the Anik and Florian podcast. I just got my shirt a couple of days ago, so I wanted to rep it for the podcast here. I did order another thing from Anik's uh, thing that he has online, so I can't wait for that one to come into the mail, and then I'll start repping that too. But uh, shout out to the Anik and Florian podcast. Love those guys. Been on the show twice. It's been a while now, but uh, uh, Anik just hit me up recently uh, through Twitter saying that uh, it's just a matter of time to get you back onto the Anik and Florian podcast. So very much looking forward to getting some exposure with those guys once again. All right, that's a wrap. I know you guys are here for the breakdowns. Breakdowns are coming right up. Uh, good luck on your best this weekend. And uh, I'll see you guys on the flip side uh, for the outro. But enjoy the breakdowns for now. Johnny Munoz Jr. versus Jamie Simmons. We got minus 255 
on Johnny Munoz and we got plus 215 on Jamie Simmons. Let's start off on the Johnny Munoz side who's a highly credentialed BJJ black belt. Uh, I believe his father was a black belt as well. He was pretty much born on the mats and uh, it pretty much has shown throughout the you know beginning parts of his career is going, going out there taking guys down and submitting them relatively easily or finding a ground and pound finish as well. He did incur his first ever loss his last time out against Nate Maness. Uh, that was a fight where he had tremendous success in the first round, uh, grounding the fight. But then after that, Nate Maness seemed to take over. And especially uh, given that point deduction in the third round for uh, uh, for Johnny Munoz, uh, you know, the writing was pretty much already on the wall. But Nate Maness did enough, in my opinion, to win the next two rounds. Close fight, you know, especially that's first and, uh, sorry, that second round. But I do think that uh, Maness did enough. Uh, good job to go out there and get the uh, get get the W via decision in that fight. But Johnny Munoz, we know what he needs to do. He needs to drag fights to the ground and get his jiu-jitsu game going and potentially find a sub. Jamie Simmons, on the other hand, uh, a former high school wrestler, I believe he's a college wrestler as well, has some decent accolades on his record, uh, and then transitioned over MMA. And uh, before his UFC debut, which he took on short notice against, uh, short notice against Giga Chikaze, he had a 7-2 and record where he was going out there and, you know, really utilizing his wrestling grapple fucking his opponents getting some tkos getting a couple of submissions as well but uh it seemed like the majority of his fights he needed to ground to be able to get the uh the the victory my question mark here is against johnny munoz is that really going to be the most effective move as i do think that he's going to fall into some trouble here going up against a guy like munoz who has a great jiu-jitsu game like i said um, i believe jamie simmons is training out of the same gym as ode osborne who fights later on this card as well um and uh, they, they train out of Pura Vida. I believe that's another gym that's out there in, uh, in Milwaukee. Another guy from that team is Zach Otto. Uh, and it seems like, you know, their BJJ should be up to par. But I do think that Simmons will fall into some trouble if he tries to go out there and grapple fuck Munoz in this position. Uh, Munoz has great reversals, uh, good sweeps, uh, you know, decent takedowns. I'd be surprised uh, if he lands an early takedown here against Jamie Simmons. Not saying it's out of the realm of possibility, but I'd be surprised if the college and high school wrestler uh, and Jamie Simmons gives up a takedown early in this fight, but it could absolutely happen. There's a reason that Johnny Munoz is the minus two fifty five favorite. Now, striking wise, I think that Munoz has a little bit more in the in the uh, in the arsenal in terms of variety of strikes, whereas Jamie Simmons is more of like a regular wrestling type of striker, which is go out there throw wingy bombs, blitzing bombs, uh, just trying to do enough to kind of close the distance and then eventually look for the takedown and get this fight to the ground. But I, I think Munoz might be inviting the takedown in this fight i'd be surprised if he tries to put up too much of a fight in terms of takedown defense if simmons decides to take this fight to the ground but i think once it hits there i think that we'll see munoz get the better of this uh, of this fight i'm not the most impressed with simmons's ability to kind of control his opponents on top especially with the lack of uh experience that use or lack of experienced fighters that he was fighting on the regional scene you know he was able to get away with it there and some of those guys had success in terms of getting fights back to the feet but here against munoz munoz is going to want to fight on the ground he's going to want to sweep jamie simmons or find a submission off of his back and i think it's going to be absolutely possible that he can do that so i'm actually going to go with johnny munoz in the spot i think that he's a good uh good enough all around uh, he might give up takedowns but again that's going right into his rum uh but i do think that the longer that this fight goes he might even have more in the tank i do question jamie simmons's uh gas tank a little bit too so i do think that if this fight does get stretched later into you know the second and third rounds we should have munoz uh you know be more successful in terms of 
of implementing his jujitsu heavy game plan. So I'm going to be going with Johnny Munoz in this spot. I think he's worth the chalk minus 255. You know, some people might be uh, looking at the other side just to try to get some value on Simmons, but I don't really think Simmons is much of a UFC caliber fighter. He could potentially win some titles on the regional scene, but I do think that he's going to run to trouble, especially with, you know, a stylistic nightmare here that he has against Johnny Munoz. So I'm going to go Munoz. I'm going to go Munoz, probably second round submission, and he should be able to lock this up, um, you know, without taking too much damage. I think Simmons' best ability to win this fight is probably knocking out Simmons early in this fight uh, or getting some vicious ground and pound going early because, again, as this fight drags on, I do think that Simmons will struggle to keep up with his uh, submission attempts, reversal attempts, and all of that. That's going to be coming from James, uh, from uh, from Johnny Munoz. So once again, I'm going to go Johnny Munoz via second round submission. Victoria Leonardo against Melissa Gatto. We got an even lined fight here. Minus 110 on either side. Uh, Victoria Leonardo actually opened up as the plus 125 underdog. And since then, we've seen some steady money come in, pushing her to a pick em odds pretty much. And, uh, Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if she actually ends up going off as the favorite once the fight actually goes off, uh, as I do believe that she does deserve to be the favorite in this spot. So shout out to everybody that was able to get in on Victoria Leonardo early on this spot to take advantage of the misprice, I believe, at the on the opener at least. Um, so let's start off with Victoria Leonardo, who's obviously coming off a loss to Manon Fiorot last time around. Uh, Fiorot was just absolutely uh, way better than her in the striking round, and it was obvious from the get-go. We did see Fiorot almost get her out of, out of there in the uh, early first round, or sorry, I should say late first round, and then eventually getting her out of there midway through the second round. Uh, we definitely saw that, again, a huge advantage in the striking for Fiorot in that spot. Leonardo was just doing her best in terms of just trying to survive, it seemed like. Uh, the Chelsea Hackett fight, the Contender Series fight, if you guys remember, Chelsea Hackett was absolutely chewing up the lead leg of Victoria Leonardo, and then in the second round, Leonardo turned the tables, dragged this fight to the ground, and then eventually got that full mount and uh, TKO'd her way to a contract to the UFC. So great win for her there, especially as a plus 235 underdog, defying the odds and taking over and, uh, you know, really stopping the hype train that was Chelsea Hackett on the Contender Series. Now here, Victoria Leonardo, in my opinion, has a much more favorable matchup going up against a 6-0-2 Melissa Gatto who's only 25 years old but has had so much troubles in terms of trying to get to the cage due to the fact that you know uh, she's had a bunch of fights where she's had to pull out she had to deal with the USADA suspension which is not the greatest look especially before your first ever UFC fight and uh, yeah it's been a long time since she actually went out there and submitted Carol Hosa which I believe was way back in 2018 and I'm actually going to quickly confirm that number if you, or that date for you guys as I should have had that information ready to go before I hit record on this. But yeah, she beat Carol Hosa uh, September of 2018. Then she uh, was scheduled to fight an immortal. That got pulled. Then she was scheduled to fight at UFC 237, which was the Nami Yunus and Andrade card uh, against Talita Bernardo. She pulls out due to an injury. Uh, then two months later, she was scheduled again. She has another injury where she was supposed to go up against Julia Vila. And then she was scheduled a year later, June of 2020, against Maria Agapova. And then Gato was, um, uh, Gato was pulled due to... Uh, 
to uh, travel restrictions. But within that spot, though, she did have to deal with uh, a USADA suspension, which is obviously, again, not the greatest look for somebody that is just coming into the UFC. Uh, Gato seems to be a jiu-jitsu player. You know, she wants to drag the fights to the ground, get her jiu-jitsu going. That's how she was able to get out uh, Carol Hosa in that fight. She was able to pull off a Kimura. Actually, that was a spot where Carol Hosa went for a takedown, and she wasn't cognizant enough of her of her arm. And we saw Gato lock up a Kimura and was able to get the victory off of her back. So good win for her, from her there. But the Sydney Hocha fight was an interesting one. I thought Hocha won that. Not under, not completely uh, understanding of why it went to a draw. But uh, Hocha was getting the better of her by taking uh, getting the fight to the ground, landing some good shots on the feet. And even in the striking room, all it seemed that Gato had was a, a leg kick. You know, there wasn't really much else because it did look like she wanted to drag the fight to the ground. But whenever she tried to tie up, Sydney Hocha seemed like the much stronger opponent in that situation. And she, she was able to drag the fight to the ground. I'm expecting her to do the same thing here against Leonardo in terms of, you know, clinching up with Leonardo, dragging the fight to the ground and get her going and get her game going that way. But Leonardo, you know, solid. Uh, I believe she's a purple belt in jiu-jitsu, shows some solid work on the ground, but she does a good job in terms of, you know, fights fighters that want to take the fight to the ground she does a decent job of keeping it in the striking realm you know the the Liz Tracy fight is a perfect example of that even the Aaron Blanchfield fight but Blanchfield did a good job in terms of just committing to her striking then eventually finding that knockout in the second round uh, unless Melissa Gato has a head kick of some sort uh, which I haven't seen on tape you know I think she's going to struggle in the striking realm here against Victoria Leonardo because you know a leg kick will only be able to take you so far she's going to have to start trusting her hands a little bit more but once she starts getting punched in the face like she's going to be getting from Victoria Leonardo I don't think she'll have as much in the tank in terms of uh of resistance in that spot again I think the best way for Gato to have success in this fight is to drag it to the ground I think she's going to struggle to do so and I think that Leonardo will be able to stay out of any bad positions on the ground and then actually maybe even get some reversals land up on top and uh get some ground and pound going from the top position and I wouldn't even be surprised if we see uh Leonardo get this uh get Gato out of there the later that this fight goes so I'm going to be certain circling the round three prop here for Leonardo because I do think she has a decent gas tank she should have a better gas tank than Gato in my opinion and she just pretty much has it covered everywhere else you know I think she's the better striker she has great kicks uh and then even when this fight hits, hits the ground I think her submission defense is good enough to stay out of trouble and I do think that uh you know, it could come down to Gato gassing later in this fight, Leonardo landing some takedowns of her own, and then getting better position and possibly getting a TKO via ground and pound. So I do like Leonardo in this spot. She should be the rightful favorite, and I wouldn't be surprised if she ends up going off as a favorite once the fight actually goes down. Uh, but I do like her here uh, early in fight week. I'm going to take her to win this fight via TKO, and I'm going to say it happens in round three. Anderson Dos Santos versus Miles Johns. We got plus 155 on Dos Santos and minus 175 on Miles Johns. Miles Johns coming off a very successful return, especially after getting his uh, first ever loss, uh, pro career loss, I should say, where he got uh, finished by Mario Bautista. And then he comes back and gets a win over Kevin Natividad, finishing him in the third round in a fight where it looked like he was trying to ground the fight over and over again, but was very unsuccessful as Kevin Natividad did a good job in terms of keeping the fight upright up against the cage but he was giving up a bunch of control time as well as eating damage from miles johns who was on the offensive for pretty much the majority of that fight 
as we saw in the third round, a little bit of a blatant glove grab to keep Kevin Natividad within range. And uh, Miles Johns was able to uncork an absolute nuclear bomb on Natividad, which ended up finishing him there. But good one for Miles Johns to get back on track. But it does feel like this fight against Anderson Dos Santos will be even tougher for him to overcome. Anderson Dos Santos, it seems like, you know, he was getting into that territory of a guy that you can continuously fade with, with some good talent. But now it seems like he's completely... Um, engulfing himself and accepting the fact that when he creates chaos he's able to get more success against his opponents and that's exactly what he was able to do against Martin Day last time around successfully landed a takedown but creating chaos on the ground we saw Martin Day get back to his feet but for some reason Martin Day goes out there and goes tries to go Daniel Cormier on his ass leaving his neck out there and Anderson Dos Santos locking up a submission choke and getting that guillotine choke victory for himself so good win for him there but he is very good in the fire like he likes to throw wildly because he doesn't care about getting taken down because he can rely on his jiu-jitsu which is good enough i believe to find the submission every now and then but i do think that he's going to struggle here in terms of getting that off early which leads me to my next point, which is I think that Miles Johns is going to have to deal with the chaos and the forward pressure of Anderson here, which should gas him a little bit earlier, which should give Anderson Dos Santos some more success the later that this fight goes. The later it goes, the better it is for Anderson Dos Santos, in my opinion. I think the earlier it is, Miles Johns probably gets that knockout, but I do think that Dos Santos is durable enough to withstand that and then eventually come back in the last uh, later rounds and finish him. Now, another fight that's kind of similar to what Miles Johns could potentially put onto Anderson Dos Santos is the Nad Naramani fight. The difference between Nad Naramani and Miles Johns is, is it seems like Naramani has a little bit more to his striking game than what Miles Johns brings to the table. Miles Johns is a little bit more of that Reisler type of striker, which is wild looping hooks, one and done type of things. Just try to, you know, put that power on his opponents to kind of just get them to, to move back and give, give them some hesitancy in terms of going forward, especially with the power that's going to be coming their way from Miles Johns, whereas Nad Naramani was kind of picking up apart Dos Santos for the majority of that first round with the striking, with a little bit more of a varied attack. Um, that's when after Nad Naramani in the second and third rounds, that's when he starts landing the takedowns and grinding out Anderson Dos Santos. Whereas with Miles Johns, if he looks to start taking him down later, he's going to gas himself a little bit more. He's going to get into those desperation modes. And we know with these wrestlers, once they start getting desperate, they go back to their old habits. They go back to their immediate reflex. And that reflex for Miles Johns is to shoot. You don't want to just nakedly shoot on a guy like Anderson Dos Santos who doesn't mind pulling guillotine and more often than not has a very nasty guillotine that it could potentially get you to uh, tap out with or go to sleep with so i do like dos santos to actually survive that first round here and start getting his game going in the second and third rounds landing the bigger shots putting Maz johns into desperation mode and then eventually finding a submission so the spots that i like uh, dos santos inside the distance dos santos by submission and then dos santos in round three as i do think that those are the best spots for dos santos to win this fight um and yeah i like the underdog here i like dos santos to win this fight via third round submission O'Day Osborne versus Manal Cop. We got minus 185 on Cop and plus 160 on the up-and-comer O'Day Osborne. And this is a big fight for Osborne, especially to get a win like Manal Cop on his record this early. Well, 12 fights into his career, 13 fights into his career is going to be a very good, uh, you know, stamp of approval for him, especially at 29 years of age. Now, on the flip side, you got Manel Cap, who's only 27 himself, but has a wealth of experience, especially with the amount of fights that he was able to get over there in Risen, not to mention the amount of fights, but the level of competition that he was going up against over there. Very, very good look for him, especially capping it off with a win over Kai Asakura, knocking him out pretty viciously as well. 
Then he makes his UFC debut against Alessandro Pantoja. Seems to be a little bit too lackadaisical in there, right? Happy that he's finally in the UFC, but never really gets much going in that fight, which is why, in my opinion, Pantoja deserved to get that decision and take home that victory. Then his next fight against Mateus Nicolau, you know, is 1-1 going into that third round. And I thought that... Uh, the early early in the round it looked like Nicolau was getting the better of the damage and the better of the striking exchanges but as the momentum started to swing towards Manal Cap uh, I just feel as though he didn't have enough time in that round uh, to truly get it going now we got an 0-2 Manal Cap that's probably pissed off at the two decisions that he's lost and he has a good opponent in front of him here against Ode Osborne where he should be able to go out there and do what Manal Cap does I do think that Osborne you know, again, I've said it before, I think he has a little bit of a cardio issue, but we haven't truly seen it, especially in his recent fight since he's able to get his opponents out of there, or he was submitted relatively quickly by Brian Keller as well. But I think it's going to be very difficult for him to get a guy like Manel Cape out of there as quickly as he has his last couple of opponents. So the longer that this fight drag drags on, you got to believe that Cap has the advantage. But the issue is, is Cap going to throw? Is Cap going to be trigger shy? You know what I mean? Is he just going to be dancing and doing his bullshit? I believe no. I believe the fact that, you know, he knows that he's 0-2. An 0-3 record in the UFC is probably going to get him caught right away. So we should probably see him go out there with a little bit more fire in his belly. A little bit more aggressiveness. And that could, you know, really help him out in a spot like this where he's going to have to close the distance. Where he's giving up 5 inches of reach against a very long O'Day Osborne. Not, a, not to mention a 2-inch uh, height advantage. I don't believe Osborne does the greatest job in terms of um, maintaining that distance. So I think that Cap will do a good job in terms of exploding, getting on the inside and getting his combinations off. But I do think that he also has the power to go out there and possibly knock out Osborne. You know, Osborne is a little bit wild on the feet, holds his hands a little bit low. Obviously, going up against a very formidable opponent like Manal Cap, he's going to have to mind his P's and Q's a little bit more, which I expect him to do. But I don't think that he's going to be ready for the type of striking that's going to be coming his way from a guy like Manal Cap. And even if Osborne decides to dry, drag this fight to the ground and pull off a submission like he did on the contender series or you know try to get a submission going off of his back I think he's going to really struggle here against uh Cap who I believe is either a brown belt or a black belt at this point in time in jiu-jitsu so I do think that his, um, uh, his submission defense will be up to par not to mention I think he went up against two much tougher submission artists in Nicolau and Pantoja and was able to come out unscathed on the ground even though he ended up losing that fight via decision I pre you know pre-tape and and early in the week i was leaning oday osborne as a potential dog of the night play here <coughs> excuse me but as fight week dragged on i and and i started to do the tape myself i started to like the number that we were seeing on uh on Manal Cap, or at least what what I was seeing on tape about about Manal Cap, I she, I do believe, uh, excuse me, I do think that he's gonna go out there and uh, outstrike uh, Ode Osborne on this uh, in this fight. I do think that his takedown defense will be good enough to keep this fight upright. I do think if he decides to take this fight to the ground, Ode Osborne's takedown defense leaves a lot to be desired, and I think that he'll have a lot of success in terms of grounding this fight and getting some strikes off from the top position, and then being good enough to, uh, and defensively sound with his jiu-jitsu to stay out of the submission attempts that of O'Day Osborne. Osborne could absolutely blast onto the scene and be this next big thing. Um, you know, he seems to have all the physical uh, physical abilities and uh, the physical traits that are required for a champion and some decent technical things as well. But I do think that he's going to have some issues here dealing with the striking style of Manel Cap and, um, 
Yeah, I, I think he's truly going to struggle. Uh, again, does he submit him? I don't think so. Does he knock Cop out? Cop has a really good trend for my, for at least recently. His durability has really held up. Uh, and again, back against the wall from Manal Cap here. He needs a W. He could absolutely get cut if he goes 0 3 in this spot. I know he's, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's doing the UFC a favor by taking this fight on somewhat short notice. I could be off on that, but regardless, I do think that Manal Cap should have all the advantages of this fight and his durability should be able to hold up against a very volatile uh, Ode Osborne. So the spot that I'm going to be looking at is the under. Under two and a half is not going to be a bad spot. Let me see what the odds are there. Uh, under two and a half is plus one, 110. Not a bad spot with two guys that uh, have a lot of finishes on the record. Could be potentially my dog of the night play as well now that I'm thinking about it. But I do like Hop here. I think he gets a knockout probably second round. Uh, but yeah, I love Manel Cap in this spot. And I think we're going to see a different Manel, a fired up Manel, which would produce a pretty fun knockout for us so once again i'm gonna go manal cap second round ko carolina kovakevich versus jessica penne we got minus 120 on the returning poll carolina kovakevich and we got plus 100 on jessica penne let's start off on the penne side of things who took home uh i believe it was a split decision victory over lupita gudinez last time around when she made her return after about three or four years off uh due to usada suspensions and just a plethora of other things but luckily for her she was able to get her hand raised when she did make her return at the ripe age of 38 years old so good win for jessica penny last time around very weird fight right you saw that lupito godinez really needed the distance and the the pure striking space required for a striker like herself to have success yet she just always crashed forward ended up in the clinch and just made it a lot closer of a fight than it should have been Say what you want about the decision. I'm not here to argue that uh, Penny still went out there and got the job done, even as a plus 210 underdog. So she probably was, you know, the side to end up going with concerning the odds and how close that fight ended up playing out. Regardless, we know that Penny needs to engage in the grappling to have any sort of success as her striking game still has not developed, even though she's at 38 years old at this point. She has to go out there and get takedowns, use her jujitsu, which is very crafty. We've seen her pull off crazy subs in the past but i do think that she's going to need to really emphasize that here against a girl like carolina kovakevich who will absolutely have her beat on the feet now on the flip side with carolina we're coming back after i believe uh what is it she she found last time we saw her in the cage was february of last year where she got a decision by yan xiao nan but that was a fight where she was getting pretty much beat from pillar to post and it was actually close to being stopped due to the swelling that was coming up on carolina's eye not to mention the amount of damage that she was taking in the eye i believe like one of the tear ducts or something uh ruptured or something like that but it just kept uh you know leaking and it was a very uh huge uh nuisance for her especially having to deal with a killer like yan xiao nan in front of her we know when carolina's at her best she can go out there and strike with the best of them she can go and you know throw up 100 120 130 strikes and really just put the pace and pressure on her opponents especially when she's really in her groove in the striking room i think she's going to need all of that here against the longer and uh, grapple heavy jessica penny but i do think that we'll see her have a successful return as i do think that her striking is good enough to put a hurting on jessica penny and make it very difficult for penny to get that grappling going we know you know the the fragility of jessica 
Penny's nose, who did have it broken way back when she fought against Yuana Yanjechuk. But it does seem to open up pretty easily, especially when you have a fighter as pertinent with their striking as uh, Karolina Kovacavich. Even Lupita Godinez, I believe, had some success in terms of busting that nose. I do think that was have the same thing here with Carolina using that jab and then coming down the middle with that uh, two to really put the hurt on Jessica Penne. And I think we're going to see her have plenty of success doing so. There is a little bit of room for concern regarding the uh, layoff that uh, Miss uh, Kovakevich is coming back from. But I think it was a good amount of time for, for her to take off, especially considering that she was coming off of a four-fight losing streak and uh, one of those fights being completely knocked out by Jessica Andrade. So I think she has her stuff back together. You know, she's 35 years old. She, she wants to make one last run. And I think stylistically speaking, the UFC is doing her a favor here, especially fighting a girl like Jessica Penne, who doesn't present too many issues outside of the grappling realm, which I've seen Carolina, you know, pretty do a pretty good job in terms of fending uh, off take or sorry, fending off submission attempts. And I do believe that... Um, you know, even though she's been taken down in the past, uh, again, especially against a girl like Michelle Watterson, Watterson is a very underrated wrestler, in my opinion, which is why she was able to complete those takedowns to a lot of people's surprise. I do think that Carolina might have given up a or might give up a couple takedowns here to Jessica Penne. But I believe she should be able to get back to her feet and then inflict enough damage on the feet to kind of sway the judges back to her side. I'm not even ruling out the potential that we could see a Karolina Kovacavich possible TKO and the fact that I do think that she could overwhelm Jessica Penne on the feet but as long as she say, stays disciplined enough keeps her movement and footwork in check she should be able to stay out of the clinch positions that Penne is going to be seeking and just absolutely unload on her with some striking uh, so I'm split between you know a decision for Carolina and a possible TKO prop but at plus 900 or plus 950 I might have to take a little bit of a stab on that TKO prop but again not high level of confidence that number is just too juicy for me so ultimately i'm going to be going with carolina kovacavich to win this fight via decision but i am going to keep a keen eye on that ko prop and i might have to take a little bit of a stab she could absolutely be coming back with some fire want to reverse her fortune especially with that one four uh, uh streak that she's currently on and i think that jessica penne is the perfect fighter for her to go out there and uh, reclaim that success that she had earlier in her career so once again i'm going to go with Kovacavich and I'll take her by decision but I'll be looking at that KO prop as well Alonzo Menafield versus Ed Herman we got minus 240 on the hard-hitting Alonzo Menafield and plus 200 on the veteran Ed Herman now uh intriguing fight to break down to you know a certain extent obviously we know that Menafield his uh somewhat limited path to victory which is usually that one first round knockout uh it probably is the way to go in this fight against the veteran Ed Herman now last time around we saw Alonzo Menafield take care take advantage of a position on the ground against Fabio Charant where he was able to lock up uh Von Pruchoke. I'm gonna start calling it a Von Pru don't give a fuck what anybody says but uh he was able to snatch it up and get the tap from Fabio Charant relatively quickly into their fight let's not forget that Fabio Charon took that fight on short notice so there is something to consider there but Alonzo Menafield still should go out there and showcase some solid skills here against Ed Herman now I do believe he's still with Fortis MMA you know we don't see him post there much he is starting to work with this uh, Olympic coach I'm not exactly sure what maybe with strength and conditioning but uh, this coach has been apparently working with a ton of Olympic athletes and a bunch of different uh, you know professional sports athletes as well out there in uh, Dallas Texas so I wonder 
what kind of um you know tools he could have picked up from there and how that could eventually help his overall game because we know that he definitely needs help especially when fights get out of that first round he needs that ability to maintain his endurance maintain his durability and maintain his cardio so that he can fully go out there and you know provide a solid 15 minutes of violence if that's what it takes to get his opponents out of there you know, Ed Herman is tough to put away. That is definitely a very tough cookie to crack. And even though, you know, Mike Rodriguez is very close to getting him out of there, especially with that body shot, and then we know what happened afterward. Ed Herman was able to uh, kind of, you know, sell it as a, as a low blow, and he was able to just get his wits about him, and then he got back into the cage, and then he was able to take over and uh, get that finish of Mike Rodriguez. But I do think he's going to have a little bit more issues here dealing with the power of Alonzo Menafield, and I think that Menafield will do a really good job in terms of tracking where Ed Herman is and then eventually putting his lights out i still do believe that menafield will have a decent uh a decent run in the light heavyweight division here you know it is kind of thin in terms of the level of competition there how many people are truly there and i think it's a little bit too early to be writing off a guy like uh like alonzo menafield the last time that we've actually seen Ed Herman get knocked out was July of 2016, the same night that Tyron Woodley captured the welterweight title over Robbie Lawler. Uh, he got head kick knocked out by Nikita Krylov, and then his last loss before that was uh, just about a year and a half earlier against Derek Brunson, where he got KO'd 30 sec 36 seconds into the fight. So we're talking about, you know, close to uh what is that five years now since we've actually seen him get knocked out but i don't think he's been fighting as heavy of a hitter in that amount of time right like he lost a split decision to gilan volante uh beat patrick cummins beat hadisi bergimov and then was close to getting finished by mike rodriguez so possibly could have gotten finished you know the last time he was out but now here he is against alonzo menafield where you know it's tough to see him uh at 40 years old coming into his 40th fight that he's going to be able to deal with the power of a young up-and-comer like Alonzo Menafield so uh, you know I, I don't want anything to do with this fight in terms of betting pre-fight you know it's really tough to trust a guy like Alonzo Menafield who's you know uh, above minus 200 minus 240 who should go out there and get it done within one round but what if he doesn't get it done in one round Ed Herman definitely has those veteran skills to push this fight further and uh, really take advantage of the deeper the fight goes but I still find it hard to believe that he's going to pull out a victory over a guy like Alonzo Menafield so I'm still going to take Menafield round one KO but if you guys are into the live betting thing I would probably take a little bit of a sprinkle on Ed Herman should this fight reach the second round. You're probably going to get way better odds than you're getting pre-fight. And then you should also, you know, have a little less to worry about in terms of the the the, um, the KO power coming at Herman's way from Alonzo Menafield. But I still do think that Menafield will find that turn in the first round. I think it'll get him out of there in the first round. So my final prediction for this fight, even though I'll have no action pre-fight, is going to be Menafield via round one KO. Vince Morales versus Draco Rodriguez. We got minus 105 for Vince Morales and minus 115 for Draco Rodriguez. Very closely lined fight. I wouldn't be surprised if it's pretty much minus 110 or minus 115 either way come fight time here because pre-fight it looks like it could be a close fight. Now, I kind of said that before Vince Morales' last fight against Chris Gutierrez where I'm like, you know, both guys don't really show much urgency and I do think that both guys are, you know, lined pretty well at that minus i believe it was uh yeah minus 120 is as high as chris gutierrez got but um you know i thought pre-fight it was going to be a pretty close fight throughout but 
Chris Gutierrez laid on those calf kicks nice and early in this spot and he was able to immobilize Vince Morales eventually getting him out of there via leg kick TKO not often not often do you see that but Chris Gutierrez did a really good job in terms of nullifying the footwork of Vince Morales by slowing him down with those calf kicks and then eventually getting him out of there with those calf kicks as well when Vince Morales is truly on his best work usually comes from his boxing he has good footwork good foot uh good movement as well and he's able to kind of you know punch guys into traps almost and then start to capitalize from that not a crazy you know heavy one punch knockout kind of guy but is still able to go uh, go out there and put some solid value volume on his opponents excuse me and uh you know find success in those spots now he's been out of the cage for over a year now i believe he had some health issues to deal with but now he's back ready to go and i feel like he's energized especially after an 0-2 run uh in his last two fights he wants to go out there and definitely get uh, a w to uh to to reverse those fortunes i will also say this though is benito lopez fight was very intriguing as i thought that vince morales probably won every single round in that fight maybe you give benito lopez one of those rounds but uh it looks like it came down to a kick heavy game plan versus a punch heavy game plan and for some reason the judges ended up scoring the leg kick heavy game plan but even if you go if you guys go on mma decisions it shows that pretty much all media members and the vast majority of fans scoring on that website showcased that vince morales deserved to win that fight so i feel very bad for him uh you know having a uh, a win like that kind of taken away from him but maybe that fires him up to try to you know get some more knockout power or get some more aggressiveness to really sway the judges or at least keep the judges out of it and go out there and get a uh, decision victory or a knockout victory here against striker rodriguez rodriguez seems to do his best work when he's able to get his opponents to the ground but he does have a decent striking game as well i do think he'll he will struggle though with the footwork and the hand speed of vince morales in the spot and i do think that draco rodriguez at times seems a little bit lost on the feet i as we saw last time around when he got knocked out by Eamon zahabi as a minus 210 favorite not a lot of people were expecting him to go down that easily but he did. Eamon Zabi found the perfect shot, put him down, and followed up with a couple ground and pound strikes, but he was pretty much done by the time uh he landed that first strike to uh, put draco rodriguez down i think vince morales will find similar su- success maybe not to the point of actually getting draco rodriguez out there but he does have to find uh you know um some confidence in the fact that a guy like Eamon zahabi was able to go out there outstrike and then eventually put away draco rodriguez and that's not a a shot at Eamon's a hobby not at all this is a guy that Vince Morales already has a win over so it's if Eamon's a hobby can do it maybe Vince Morales can do it as well I'm not in the business of MMA math in this spot so I'm not going to be making a wager off of, on Vince Morales just because they share a similar opponent that Vince has a win over compared to Draco who got knocked out by that guy especially in his last fight but it is definitely something good to kind of fuel the confidence if you were to make a wager on Vince Morales in this spot so I don't want to spend too much more time on this fight. I do like Vince Morales to make a comeback victory here. I do think that he'll... what I mean by comeback is from the health issues and the surgeries and stuff that he had to go through and then obviously uh you know being on an Owen to a skid now I do think he has the chops to go out there and beat a guy like Draco Rodriguez. I'd be surprised if Draco is successful with this takedown heavy game plan that I think he's going to be coming with here. Uh, and even if he does get the takedowns, I think that we'll see Morales get back to his feet and get back to his game plan of just letting his hands go and really just stifling the forward pressure of Draco Rodriguez. So I like Morales here, like him by uh, decision on the feet, um, but no, no big, big confidence on the spot. But I still do favor Morales to win this fight via decision. 
Raphael Fazia versus Bobby Green. We got plus 240 on the veteran Bobby Green, and we got minus 280 on Raphael Faziev. Now, the important thing to note here is that Faziev opened up at minus 150 and got absolutely steamed by the public money to get him up to that minus 300 range. Um, should I call it the hype tax? I absolutely believe it's the hype tax. Seeing Fiziev go out there and knock out Hanato Moikano the way that he did, a lot of people are all over this guy, not to mention the performance that he had against Mark T. Casey before that too. Um, yeah, a lot of people are high on Rafael Fiziev, and you know for good reason. I think the guy has a good amount of skills. He's 28 years old, still fleshing out his full game. You know, was the head striking coach over that Tiger Muay Thai? Seems like Tiger Muay Thai is slowly starting to fall apart. Uh, so uh, Fiziev has been spending a lot of time down there at Sanford MMA in Florida, and that's definitely going to be good for him, especially to round out the rest of his game to have great training partners to kind of instill the full MMA game into his uh, into his arsenal rather than just a Muay Thai. That he's been, you know, so highly acclaimed for. Now we're seeing it in, you know, the Mark D. Casey fight, not so much in the, the Hanato Moikano fight, but it seems like Fiziev is starting to get a good grasp on when to go for takedowns and try to grind his opponents out rather than just going out there and just have a striking battle with them. Like he might be more superior than his opponents, but. Uh, sorry in the striking realm like he was against Mark D. Casey but he knows that this is an MMA fight and to make it as one-sided as possible is the best way to go and that definitely includes landing takedowns when you need to land takedowns now obviously he's not going to go out there and try to take down a guy like Moicano who's much more skilled on the mat so he made the most of it by landing his shots on the feet and then eventually using that beautiful combination body shot headshot another headshot puts Hanato Moikano's lights out uh all kind of puts his lights out was it an early stoppage a little bit but the the aesthetic and the optics of seeing Hanato Moikano fall to the mat the way that he did and almost kind of you know bounce his head off the mat was not a good look at all I completely understand why the judge or the referee stopped it but I wouldn't mind seeing that fight go on a little bit longer but Fiziev's leg kicks, body kicks are probably the best parts of his game. And I think he's going to need all of that to take on a guy like Bobby Green. Bobby Green, uh, again, coming into this fight as a plus 240 underdog. Not often you see him as a heavy underdog, right? Normally he's the heavy favorite. Just over his last five fights, let's, let's look at it. Minus 280 against Thiago Moises last time around, which he ended up losing. Very close fight. Say what you want about that. Minus 340 against Alain Patrick. Beats him by decision. Plus 115 dog to Lando Venata. Okay, we'll let that one pass. Minus 270 favorite against Clay Guida. I believe he was a minus 300 favorite against uh, Jim Miller, who he was scheduled to fight last time uh, before he, I believe he collapsed due to the weight cut uh, during the weigh-ins. And... Um, yeah, was obviously scratched from that fight. And then obviously it was a plus 135 dog to Francisco Trinaldo. Another fight, you know, close fight, uh, but he ends up losing via decision. The last time Bobby Green was actually finished, I have to dig into this one because it's been a while. But UFC 199, Dustin Poirier knocked him out three minutes into the, the first round. So that's June of 2016 was the last time that Bobby Green was finished in his pro MMA career. I actually want to quickly pull up uh, how many finishes he's actually gotten here. Uh, so that are the times that he's lost. He has two knockouts and two submission losses. Obviously, one of those knockouts being to Dustin Poirier. 
uh, and then I believe it was Tim Means. Yeah, Tim Means finished him uh, near the ending or at the ending of the second round at King of the Cage back in 2010. And then his submission losses came to David Mitchell and Dan Lozon. So decent, you know, names, good name value on those losses. But still, uh, you know, going up against a guy like Hafiof Fiziev, I think he's going to have a lot to worry about here. And um, I think that he might struggle with the with the Muay Thai game of Rafael Fiziev. Now I was doing a podcast earlier this uh, this morning. Shout out to my guy Danny v- uh, Vreeland, I believe his name is. He does the Top Turtle podcast where he does the prelim primer, and um, uh, he asked me what if you were Bobby Green's coach, what would you tell him to do to win this fight? And I told him, I'm like, you got to stay in the face of Fiziev, you know, just put your punches together, put push the pressure on him, put him on his back foot. Most fighters aren't that great off of their back foot, especially if they have a kick dominant game. And if Bobby Green can stay in his face, he can make it an ugly fight, a fight that Rafael Fiziev probably hasn't been in within 10 fights compared to the, you know, what is that? Uh, this is going to be his 40th pro fight for Bobby Green. You know, he has a ton of experience, has fought in serious killers in the past. And I'm sure he's seen a guy like Rafael Fiziev in the past. But it's just, is the timing correct for Bobby Green to be fighting an up-and-comer like this? Has Fiziev truly achieved that higher level that 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 higher level of MMA uh, to beat a 34-year-old Bobby Green who's going into his 40th fight? I think he does, but I will say this. I think the line is just a little bit too wide. You know what I mean? I, I thought minus 150 for Fiziev was a lot better. Uh, obviously, if you're backing Fiziev, you're, you're going to be all over that. But in terms of an actual, you know, implied odds, my perceived odds, sorry, I should say, my perceived odds, I don't believe that, you know, Fiziev deserves to be a minus 300 favorite in this spot. This is his toughest fight to date. You know, say what you want about Moicano. The guy has durability issues. Say what you want about uh, Mark D. Casey. You know, I thought he was on a decent run at that time, but he went up against a guy that just knew how to defend against the calf kicks, which is what brought Mark D. Casey so much success at that point in his career. So I do think that we'll see uh, Fiziev have success in this spot, though. Uh, his body kicks will be very important for him. Leg kicks as well. Slow down Bobby Green and then start to let your hands go as well. But Bobby Green is going to be there from minute one to minute 15. So if Fiziev, you know, starts to slow down a little bit the longer this fight goes, it's only going to be bad for him because I think that Bobby Green is very good at kind of pushing a fighter to his limits. Another thing that Bobby Green's really good at, and which is not, you know, a, a positive, especially whenever you back him at, uh, at uh, you know, minus 300 odds, uh, he fights close to his le- uh, his level of competition, and he makes fights closer than they should be, just like he did the Tiago Moises fight, just like he did the Francisco Trinaldo fight. You know, like, those, those are fights that he should go out there and win, but he just fights too close sometimes. And I think it's going to be difficult for him to truly impose his his game plan here against a guy like Fiziev. So I like Fiziev in this spot. Am I going to play minus 300 on him? No. You know, I might have him on a couple long shot parlays or something like that, but I don't want to go crazy on him at this number. I think the number is off. I think if you're betting this fight straight, you know, Bobby Green is a side. Even Bobby Green by decision, I don't think is a bad spot. I think that's around plus 450, plus 500. I think that has some value as I do expect this fight to go the full 15 minutes, but I do like Fiziev in the spot. I do think I will see him get comfortable enough, maybe land a couple takedowns, land some strikes, land some leg kicks as he always does, body kicks as well. But I think that he's going to have the more impactful shots. He'll land some takedowns as well. I believe his fight IQ is getting even better. And uh, yeah, he should be able to beat Bobby Green in the spot. At minus 300 though? Nah.
Well, I'm good. I'll sit on the sidelines and I'll just uh, appreciate this fight for what it is. And that's a young up-and-comer, somewhat of a young up-and-comer in Fiziev who's just absolutely nasty and a wily veteran in Bobby Green who's just durable and will never go away and has still some very good uh, skills and, 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 and a good enough game to compete with a guy like Rafael Fiziev. But uh, all in all, I'm going to go Fiziev by by decision. Um, I'd be wary of that uh, that that straight line. Maybe his prop line has a little bit more value. Um, and even on the flip side, uh, prop line on or the decision line on Bobby Green isn't too bad either. So once again, I'm going Rafael Fiziev via decision. Song Yudong versus Casey Kenny. We got plus 100 on Song Yudong and minus 120 on Casey Kenny. And I am uber excited for this matchup because I love the style clash that we have here. Now, Casey Kenny has been building up this confidence with this striking, and it may have, you know, kind of hurt him in his fight against Dominic Cruz. But then again, even if he decides to go to his wrestling in that fight, like he tried to do a couple times, Dominic Cruz is definitely one of those guys that has an underrated grappling game and wrestling game, but it definitely showed in its full entirety last time around when he fought Casey Kenny not to mention that last minute takedown he was able to secure in that third round to kind of ensure that he secured that fight it's a good work on Dominic Cruz in that fight with Casey Kenny but Casey is still improving man to have a loss to one of the bantamweight goats to Dominic Cruz is not a bad loss especially even in 2021 people might give him some shit for it considering you know Dominic Cruz knocked out by Henry Souto last year kind of been seen as a guy that's over his peak and past his prime but it's still a very tough matchup but you know Dominic Cruz still has that footwork still has that striking still has that weird uh style that still causes opponents confusion and it definitely confused Casey Kenny still but Casey Kenny as he showed you know uh, over his run at the the fight island uh beautiful work against Haile Alatang absolutely ripping the body with leg kicks and uh you know was close to getting him out of there but Haile Alatang was just not going to be turned away that night at least in terms of being finished uh but Casey Kenny did a really good job in terms of securing the victory there then a couple weeks later he takes a catchweight fight against Nathaniel Wood very fun fight both guys you know uh, you know um 135ers obviously but we saw Casey Kenny go out there and just want to get a quick turnaround. He didn't take any damage at all in that highly Alatang fight. So luckily, Nathaniel Wood was more than a willing dance partner that night. Again, a couple weeks after Casey Kenny had defeated Haile Alatang. And a uh, great fight, but we did get to see Casey Kenny's uh, striking once again. And then when he needed his grappling, he was able to rely on it. Here again, Song Yudong, you know, I don't know how much he's going to want to go out there and strike with him. I'm sure he'll strike to a certain extent, but Song Yudong wants you to engage in the pocket, wants you to engage in the fire, because more often than not, he's the one with the better chin and probably more power. So that's something that Casey Kenny is definitely going to have to worry about. But luckily for Casey, I think he has the cardio and grappling advantage in this fight. So sure, if he wants to go out there and strike for the first round to kind of make Song Yudong think that he's going to strike, then he can go out there in the second and third rounds and start implementing that wrestling advantage that he should to have in this fight i think that casey kenny is probably one of the best scramblers inside the ufc and that definitely helps him bail himself out of certain positions against his opponents and i think that we're going to see that come into play this weekend when he goes up against song yudong song had a very frustrating fight last time around against kyler phillips where he just could not track down kyler and kyler was able to do a good matador impression by just sticking a moving sticking a movie 
and not really giving Song Yudong the fight that he needed. The minimum success that we had or that we saw Song have in that fight was when he was able to secure a takedown or at least top control in the third round against Kyler Phillips, who had seemed to be slowing down at that point in time. I think Song Yudong kind of slows down in his fights too, so I do think that Casey Kenny, like I said earlier, should have a cardio advantage and that should help him kind of fuel that wrestling game, especially later in this fight. Um, yeah, like I said, I, I like Casey here. I think that his improving striking will help him remain competitive in this fight against Song Yudong. And then his movement, speed, and wrestling, not to mention his cardio, should be kind of the, the nail in the coffin uh, for Song Yudong in this fight. I don't think Casey Kenny is going to finish him. You know, I think the only finish if it occurs is probably Song Yudong clipping Casey Kenny and following up with some punches. I don't think we see a submission from either side, uh, but I do like Casey in this fight, man. I, I think that he's uh, very solid value, even at that minus 120 line that he's currently at. I just think, yes, Song beat pretty much in every aspect of MMA other than the striking and the possible power. And I think that Casey's striking is good enough now that he can hang with that power and hang with that striking of Song Yudong. Excuse me. <coughs> Uh, you know, Song wants to take your head off and likes to thrive, like I said, in those pocket exchanges. But, you know, Casey Kenny seems to have good enough fight IQ to not get engaged in something like that. Just play enough on the feet and then start implementing that grappling uh, advantage that you're going to have in this fight. And, uh, yeah, just control Song. You don't suck the, the, the energy and the power out of the muscles of Song so that you can be even more effective the later that this fight gets. I'm not sure at what point we'll see Casey engage in the grappling. I'd be uh, kind of surprised if it was immediately, but I'd say, you know, maybe by halfway through the round or at least later through the first round, he should be able to go out there and uh, either secure a takedown or at least threaten deep enough on a takedown that he knows that he'll be a lot more confident and successful with it the later that the fight goes. So I like I like Casey Kenny a lot in this spot at minus 120. I think he's the solid value. I'd actually put him up to maybe minus 150, minus 170, because uh, I do think he has a great value. Uh, not to mention, I think he has a great game. He's only getting better as a fighter as his career continues to progress. Whereas Song Yudong, I think we're going to see him start to plateau. If you guys remember early in his career, even before coming to the UFC, the guy used to have absolute wars. Like I think he's kind of really let his potential fade him by as he was just so, uh, again, too active, too violent in his early fights. I know he's still young and still has a lot of time to grow, but I do think that this might be a case of a fighter that kind of just you know, left it all in the cage a little bit too early before he could truly develop into a great fighter. But I do think that Casey Kenny will still eventually crack that top five to seven mark in the bantamweight division. And I think that this will be a great statement win for him to go out there and get onto that track. So uh, yeah, I like Casey Kenny here. I'm going to take him by decision. Uh, and again, I think the odds are, you know, kind of off <laughs> i think that Casey kenny should be a little bit of a bigger favorite in this spot so i like kenny here and i'm going to take him to win this fight via decision angela hill versus tisha torres now this is a rematch of a fight that took place at ufc 188 i believe that was june of 2015 where tisha torres was able to pick up a decision victory over angela hill not to mention a very green and young angela hill who at that time only had three or four amateur fight or sorry professional fights which did not include that time that she had on tough, which she probably got into the house a little bit too early, but luckily enough for her, her skills have started to pan out, and now she finds herself in the UFC, and she's in a much better position than she was when she originally fought Tisha Torres. Now, Tisha Torres back then also fought a lot of tough competition earlier on in her career, not to mention girls like Rose Namajunas, 
who I believe she got her win over, but again, super early in their careers. We're talking about 2015, over six years ago. Uh, but since that amount of time, both women have had different career trajectories and both women have made a ton of good improvements. But I do think that we're going to see the improvements from the Hill side shine a little bit more than the Taurus side. Now, Taurus in that fight decided to go out there and grapple fuck Angela Hill, and she was very successful in doing so. But I do think now we're going to see a ton more of uh, improvements from Tisha Torres and I, or sorry, from Angela Hill. Um, I will say this: I believe I, I did the calculations real quick, and I believe it was seven out of twenty-four takedown attempts since two thousand sixteen. Um, uh, Angela Hill has been able to stuff, and it would be even crazier if we took into consideration the fight with the Michelle Watterson, which I excluded from that statistic, where Michelle Watterson went one of 18 on takedown attempts. Again, Michelle Watterson, undersized, underrated wrestler, I'll give that to her, but again, going one of 18 on takedowns against Angela Hill is very concerning. I do expect that to be the game plan from Tisha Torres once again. You know, I think she's going to struggle to kind of track Angela Hill on the feet and really get a striking game going, so I do think that she's going to look to go out there and impose her heavy set muscle bound body and and really go out there and try to implement that, that grappling game plan by overpowering Angela Hill dragging her to the ground and kind of controlling her however we have seen Angela Hill do some good work off of her back in terms of getting back to her feet, you know, stopping takedowns, getting out of uh, bad positions, especially up against the cage where it's easier for her opponents to take her down. And she does a good job of, you know, getting back into open space and then getting back to that Angela Hill game plan, which is just try to outvolume your opponent so that the judges think that you won. And I do think in a fight here where you can pretty much flip a coin, you're getting some decent value on Angela Hill, who should, you know, be the much more improved fighter, like I said, and has a much better skill set here to kind of nullify what Tisha Torres is going to be doing um again I haven't really been a big fan of Angela Hill in the past but I do think she's slowly starting to come into her own and I think that this is a prime spot for her to go out there as a slight underdog and pull off the upside against a fighter that already has a win over her I think Angela Hill is more than ready for this task. I do think that she'll, you know, um, be more active with the strikes, land the better strikes, and then she should be able to stay out of the way of the takedowns and the, you know, the the clinch control and the the top pressure that Tisha Torres kind of leaned on, especially in their first fight. Uh, and even though we've seen Tisha Torres go out there and have some successful striking battles since that fight, and she does have some decent striking, she's not going to go out there and outstrike Angela Hill for 15 minutes. I'd be very surprised if that's the case. Um... You know, Tisha Torres looks in great shape, uh, you know, based on some of the fight week pictures that I've been seeing. But then again, she always looks great. So you can never really say anything bad about the the uh, the, the physique and the shape that Tisha Torres normally comes into the fight with. But I do think that Angela Hill, like I said, much improved takedown defense, good get-up game, uh, even more refining of her MMA striking. I think it's going to be a little bit too much for Tisha Torres this week. And I do think that we see Angela Hill go out there out volume Tisha Torres and win this fight via decision. Vicente Luque versus Michael Chiesa. We got minus 110 on both sides. Steady money coming in on Michael Chiesa, who originally opened out as a plus 125 dog. The money has started to come in on him, and a lot of people believe that he should be able to go out there and defeat uh, Vicente Luque. Now, let's break down this fight very I'd say it's pretty uh, binary in terms of how you can break down this fight. You got Vicente Luque, who's an absolutely nasty striker, but also a very good jiu-jitsu player that should be able to hold his own on the ground here against Michael Chiesa. Now, Chiesa, on the other hand, 
He wants to get the fight to the ground. There's no he, no way he's going to be able to go out there and outstrike a guy like Luke because if he decides to do that, I think he's going to get absolutely starched and hurt on the feet. Kessa does a good job in terms of kind of nullifying the amount of damage that's given to him or thrown out to him, especially when he fights some guys that have that striking advantage. But he does a really good job in terms of, again, like I said, moving, sticking and moving, and then waiting for his shot to uh, eventually get the fight back to the ground, which I think he's going to be, have, be having a ton of success here against Vicente Luque now Luque has kind of benefited from the fact that a lot of his fighters that he's going up against are strikers as well so he doesn't really deal with too many takedown attempts albeit he fought Tyron Woodley and stuffed one takedown attempt from him but that was you know a very weird sequence it was right off the bat we saw Tyron Woodley throw some heavy shots just to push Vicente up against the cage and then he went for a takedown immediately and it seemed like he just didn't have the greatest technique and not to mention you know very much telegraphed in that spot I think that was the Michael Chiesa at least kind of hide that takedown a little bit better than we saw from Woodley so I'm not going to take too much from that but again what other fighter can you say that uh that Luque has gone up against in his last several years that would want to grapple fuck him the way that Michael Kies is going to look to do and with that said I think that uh, Luque will struggle with that I know his BJJ is pretty good and we've seen Michael Kies get submitted off his back or sorry when he's on top of a guy like Anthony Pettis so that does obviously linger in our brain but I don't think that Luque is that good of a, of a fighter off of his back as Anthony Pettis is especially when Pettis is truly on his game we've seen him lock up some nasty submissions against some high-level opponents back in the past. But I think that Kiesa is truly starting to come into his own in this welterweight division where he's just manhandling dudes, right? He's huge even for 170. How he made 155, I have absolutely no idea. But the fact that he's at 170, really growing and maturing into this weight class, and we're starting to see that win streak start to add up, you know, adding Luke to the to the, to the belt is not too bad of an uh too bad of an acumen either to go out there and and have a high level fighter like that and just dominate them which i think he's actually going to do here against luke again a bit of a concern if this fight does stay on the feet you know if luke does stuff a couple takedowns i think kiesa will be in some trouble but i do think that we'll see kiesa you know intelligently uh land takedowns um stay away from the big striking of luke and really just grapple fuck him you know i mean i don't know how much easier i can put it than that it seems like there's a fly you know flying around my face close to my face while i'm trying to do this breakdown so i'm trying to catch him but uh yeah i think kiesa again does a good job in terms of using his his strength his height his um just strength advantage that he seems to have over a lot of opponents and then just dragging fights to the ground and then his high level jujitsu we're talking about high level to the point that you know Micah Chiesa was able to secure a submission victory over a high level fighter like Benio Dariush now I know it's been a little while since then that that was uh april of 2016 but he's you know he's been subbing some good dudes jim miller ben um benio Darius, carlos condit uh he hasn't been able to get a submission in his last three fights but uh you know i'm not expecting him to go out there and get a submission over vicente luque either so i think we see kiesa's grapple fucking uh tour continue here against Vicente Luque uh, I think that should be a great to a great t-shirt right uh Michael Chiesa's grapple fucking tour 
and just have the dates that he beat fucking Carlos Condit, Diego Sanchez, Dos Anjos, Neil Magny, and maybe add Vicente Luque to the mix as well. But yeah, I do think that we see Kiesa have tremendous success in terms of uh, grapple fucking Luque here, dragging the fight to the ground and just smothering him. Will Luque give up a submission? I'd be surprised if he does, but I do think that we'll see Kiesa just grind him out over 15 minutes and take home a decision victory. Jose Aldo versus Pedro Munoz. We got minus 110 on either side for this Coleman event. And good God, is this fight amazing? As I'm breaking down these fights for you guys, I'm just like, oh, can't wait for that fight. Oh, can't wait for that fight either. And here I am once again saying, oh, I cannot wait for this one fight either. I know Nunez was supposed to defend against... Um, Juliana Pena that was supposed to be the original co-main event but even with that falling off I feel like there's enough of a serving here from the UFC to be truly excited about the fights that are going to be going down this Saturday and to have Jose Aldo and Pedro Munoz co-main eventing this lot I'm more than excited for it so Jose Aldo obviously we know he's coming off uh off of a win over Marlon Vera last time around a very gritty win from Jose right not a, a type of approach we usually see from him uh goes out there wins uh or sorry I believe it was yeah, 1-1 one, one going into the second round. And a lot of people thought the momentum would be in Marlon Vera's favor as we have seen Jose Aldo start to fade and slow down later in fight, as fights go on, especially that third round seems to be the turning point in a lot of his fights. But managed to get a backpack position or a back mount position on, on Marlon Vera and was pretty much able to just control him for the majority of that round. I was very surprised to see uh, Jose Aldo do that, right? And it's not often that you see Aldo go out there and grapple fuck somebody, but... It seems like he's matured. He's, you know, uh, accepted the fact that he's no longer the Jose Aldo from WEC days, but he still has some good chops on the feet. Now, I think skill-wise, obviously, he blows Pedro Munoz out of the water in terms of striking, right? Pedro Munoz still in that, that phase where it's just calf kicks, leg kicks, and uh, heavy shots to the head. And it wasn't enough to beat a guy like Frankie Edgar, which is very weird, right? Very close fight. Could have gone either way. A lot of people thought it it, it should have been Munoz. I didn't think it was as crazy as a robbery as most people were making it out to be. But uh, that, that's just Munoz's game. And all of a sudden, you know, people are thinking that Munoz is this 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 crazy knockout puncher. But I feel like I kind of deflated that, uh, that narrative with, uh, you know, just going through uh, some of his knockout wins. So, like, let's just talk about his UFC career all in all, right? Um, uh, TKOs, Matt Hobar, you know, Matt Hobar, obviously not, um, UFC level, obviously. Uh, I'm talking about KO finishes that he has. Uh, Brian Caraway, body kick, that's going to drop anybody. And again, Brian Caraway, not the greatest striker either. So good win for Pedro Munoz there. Cody Garbrandt does fucking what Cody Garbrandt does, decides to go out there and sees red and just absolutely starts winging bombs. And uh, Pedro Munoz has the better durability, was able to just withstand whatever Cody was throwing at him and then, you know, returned in the fire and eventually found that chin of Cody Garbrandt and put him out. And then since then hasn't knocked anybody out. So like, I think that narrative of Pedro Munoz being this crazy knockout puncher is just it's a little crazy he gets a couple knockouts but he's not like this we got to worry about that one punch that's going to put out jose aldo specifically for this this scenario that i'm playing out so i do think that jose aldo will probably get the better of the striking um you know he showed great work against uh, pure yan and i believe it was at least one round where he showed some good work before he started to fade and then eventually you know got finished later in the fight and luckily for jose this isn't a five-round fight he only has three to worry about with uh, pedro munoz here but i do think that we'll see some prime jose aldo shit right i think he's going to be the much better striker i don't think this fight hits the ground uh and even if it does hit the ground you know i'd uh, 
I don't think that Pedro Munoz is that far ahead of Jose Aldo that he should be able to find a submission of any sort. Again, I think this fight's going to be competitive on the feet, but I do give the slight edge to Aldo as he does seem to have more tools in his pocket rather than just a calf kick and some heavy punches up top. Um, but Jose Aldo is definitely going to have to worry about that. I wouldn't be surprised to see Aldo effectively check the calf kicks that Pedro Munoz is going to be throwing at him because he's going to have to be very careful and very, um, very very much minding his p's and q's especially in those instances because i wouldn't be see wouldn't be surprised to see uh pedro munoz kind of fake those leg kicks and try to go up top and find that that button uh jose aldo like i said he might be getting up there in terms of the fight miles but he's still only 34 years old right there's so many times where we see a lot of fighters their prime years are in 30 at 34 years old not saying that Aldo's going to go out there and make a run for the 135 pound strap considering he already has uh well two losses at the 135 pound division though that marlon marais fight could have gone either way you know i still think he has the chops to go out there and beat a guy like pedro munoz who i don't think you know is as great as everybody is making him out to be he's good don't get me wrong is he a top five guy maybe top seven probably but i do think that he struggles with uh you know a 2021 jose aldo here so i'm taking aldo i'm taking aldo by decision um you know am i am i worried at all about his durability and his chin not as much as most people yeah i mean a lot of people are thinking that he's just fragile and shot i don't think he is i think he could still go out there and put on good performances we've seen him eat good shots from marlon marais we've seen him eat some hellacious shots from Piotr Jan. you know it took some crazy beating ground and pound beating in the fifth round for Piotr Jan to take uh, aldo out of there um but i do think that uh aldo can still go out there and make a good account of himself and i'm expecting him to do that here against pedro munoz so i'm liking jose aldo here I don't mind the odds either i think there's some solid odds there um we got to pump the brakes on the jose aldo is washed thing uh maybe he's washed in five round fights but i think in three round fights he could still make it competitive and still show us flashes and glimpses of peak jose aldo so I like Aldo here, going to take him by decision, and uh, minus 120, not too bad of a betting line either. So I'm taking Aldo here, and I'm going to take him by decision. Time for the big main event. We got the interim heavyweight title on the line here between Cyril Gahn and Derek Lewis. We got the heavy favorite, minus 370 from the Frenchman, Cyril Gahn, going up against plus 300, the Black Beast, Derek Lewis. And obviously, the line always wide in Derek Lewis fights, especially when he's fighting fighters that are... You know technically way better than them but we obviously know that you have to take into consideration the knockout power of Derek Lewis so Lex let's actually start off on the Derek Lewis side of things who's on a four fight winning streak right now most recently going out there and defeating Curtis Blades via second round knockout that was a fight where we saw Blades show off his striking uh, acumen in the first round all in hopes of eventually setting up that takedown in the second round and when he did shoot for it he made some dire mistakes especially shooting right into the power hand and the power uppercut of Derek Lewis eventually putting him out and Derek Lewis winning the fight that's pretty much Derek Lewis fights from a tee right like not often do you see him go out there and win uh, decisions he did win a decision against even Ovin Latifi during this four fight winning streak that he's on right now but it all comes down to small little segments of moments that he has uh, of major success in his fights when he's able to rock drop and hurt his opponent sometimes he's able to get them out of there sometimes it's just enough damage that the referee or the judges will actually score it no matter what the opponent was doing in return whether it was grapple fucking or absolutely just you know out pointing him on the feet but Derek Lewis just has that fight changing power and that round changing power that we definitely cannot overlook but Cyril Gan is probably the best complete fighter that he's gone up against during this run and probably throughout his career 
Gone is still only 9 and 0 in his professional MMA career. And if you guys didn't know, actually, his first ever pro MMA fight was for the heavyweight title over at that uh, promotion TKO up there in Montreal. And he was able to secure the, the, the title within his first ever fight. Obviously undefeated up until this point. Now he's getting a crack at the biggest heavyweight uh, strap out there, regardless of the fact that it's the interim uh, title. He still gets the, gets a chance to at least put his name at the front of the line to take on Francis Ngannou whenever that fight decides to uh, occur and whenever Francis' schedule starts to clean up as well. But uh, he, he brings a very intriguing aspect into this fight because he has very good stand-up, good knowledge of distance management as well as getting out of the way of a lot of his opponent's big shots. And then he's just very well-versed everywhere. He seems to have a decent submission game, decent takedowns as well. But then obviously he does the best of his work from the distance when he's able to outstrike his opponent. Now this fight is kind of reminding me of Mark Hunt versus Derek Lewis. Not in the fact that Mark Hunt is like gone in any way, but he Derek Lewis is going up against a guy that's much superior than him on the feet, albeit not with power, but still with uh, you know technical striking and the ability to go, kind of run circles around Derek Lewis with the with combinations, kicks, punches, whatever it may be that Surogan is going to throw here. This doesn't need to be a 10-minute breakdown, you know what I mean? This doesn't need to be an 8-minute breakdown or anything. It's pretty simple. Suragon has him covered in every single base except power, and we've yet to see Suragon truly get cracked. I will say this, though. He has definitely eaten some good shots from Jairzinho Rosa Strike, Junior Dos Santos, and even Alexander Volkov, but nothing will really put him in... Uh, you know, in a place to be prepared to be hit by a guy like Derek Lewis. Like, there's nothing you can do in training to truly be ready for that. You just got to be ready for to to try to dodge it or at least nullify the amount of impact that is coming from it by rolling with the shot as well. And even rolling with it, that might still knock you out given the, the amount of power that Derek Lewis has. And I love the quote that Derek Lewis put out there recently talking about, you know, you may be the most... Uh, way more skilled than me but I have no skills and I'm still going out there and beat you, beating you guys so you guys should pretty much just go end up retiring and if he's able to get the knockout this weekend you know it's gonna happen again he can say the exact same thing that he made it to the top without much real skill the guy has just crazy knockout power even when you take him down he's able to just you know turn over onto his stomach get onto his knees and elbows and hands and then eventually get back to his feet when he decides to like it just seems like he takes moments of uh, of relaxation and tries to just get get his energy back try to recharge so that he can go for another burst and try to get you out of there but i think that Suragon is going to be very well prepared for that i think he does a really good job especially with his body kicks and i think that could definitely have a, uh, a factor in this fight um, in, in terms of slowing down Derek Lewis, something that we've seen in the past is that body shots is not something that he really likes uh, taking. And Suragon just does such a good job in terms of masking a lot of his combinations and ending them with kicks to the body. I think that's kind of going to be his key for this fight. Again, maintain that distance, beat up that body. And then eventually once he sees Derek Lewis really huffing and puffing, he should be able to go in for the kill. I think he's actually going to be the best guy to go out there and take advantage of or, or actually nullify the amount of damage that's going to be coming back, coming his way from Derek Lewis. You know, once the fight hits the second and third and fourth rounds, um, I think he'll do a good job in terms of nullifying that attack by just, you know, avoiding and, and you know, uh, rolling with the shots and all that stuff. And then once Derek Lewis, you know, blows his uh, gas that he was able to kind of recharge for that blitz, then we'll see Gon start to turn it up again, throw some strikes, land to the body, and then eventually get Derek Lewis out of there. 
My official prediction for this fight is actually going to be a third round TKO for uh, Cyril Gaon, but I think that his least path or path of least resistance is to take this fight to the ground and seek a submission as that's definitely a way that he should be able to get Derek Lewis out of there. You know, Derek Lewis, not the greatest off of his back uh, until he decides that he wants to get back to his feet and then rain uh, hell on his opponents. So I do think that we see Cyril Gaon have a, a ton of success. He's going to have to face a little bit of adversity, but I do think the fact that uh, he should be able to nullify the damage again his movement distance manager all of that is great and then he should be able to pick apart uh Derek Lewis and eventually finish him in the third or fourth round I'm going to say third round but I think my favorite play in this fight in its entirety is actually the under four and a half at minus 180 I really like that spot as I do think it covers both outcomes as I do think that gone you know all of a sudden people think that he's a decision fighter which might be true but you gotta, you know, really show at least in this fight that you can uh, take down a wounded animal. Animal, and I expect that to be Derek Lewis once this fight reaches the second, later half of the second, third, and fourth rounds. But I don't even think he'll hit the fourth round. To be honest, I think Gon will probably get him out by the third. So uh, yeah, the under four and a half. Uh, again, I thought it was going to be cl or closer to like minus two. Uh, sorry. Uh, under over over under two and a half or three and a half rounds but the fact that they're giving us a full 22 and a half minutes to work with as the widely available total in this spot i'm gonna go with the under there and i think that's probably one of the safest spots on the card because uh yeah Derek lewis's knockout power and then mix that in with Derek lewis's uh you know the amount that he slows down and the amount of damage that he starts giving up later in fights gun will absolutely take advantage of that and then eventually get him out of there so i'm going cyril gun to be the new interim heavyweight champion and i'm taking him to win this fight by third round tko and those are the breakdowns hope you guys enjoyed the episode if you guys haven't already make sure you guys hit that like hit that subscribe and if you guys want to show your boys some more support hit up the patreon link is in the description below five bucks a month best value you're going to get on the market not to mention the amount of analysis time and content that i throw up on there i'm sure you guys will really much enjoy it not to mention the discord community which has just been absolutely great for me and uh shout out to all those guys out there and then lastly coolbet coolbet.com make sure you guys use promo code mmalotn2 and then match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks so if you're looking for a new bookie look no further than coolbet because they have great perks that you guys can take advantage of once you guys sign up with them so once again coolbet coolbet.com use promo code mmalotn2 and then match your initial deposit up to 100 bucks all right I'm going to be off to uh, visit the in-laws a couple provinces over uh, starting Friday, and then I'll be back on the following Saturday. So I believe that's August 15th that I'll be back. No UFC August 14th week, but I'm still going to be looking to spend some time while I'm out there in Saskatchewan researching a couple fights, maybe putting out a Best Bets and Props article for the August 21st event, which I'll actually be at. So uh, I can't wait to uh, go out to Vegas for that August 21st event. Um have some fun things planned for when i'm over there so don't want to reveal it yet but once we get closer to the time i can't wait to drop it for you guys but yeah hope you guys enjoyed the episode got a couple other things coming out this week so make sure you guys keep your eyes peeled um and yeah that that's really about it good luck on your best this weekend and i'll see you guys throughout the week